you know, it evokes Moises Sierra, but that's the name <laughs> that came to mind. <laughs> With the Benny Hill music. The bullpen is overworked, but we you have numbers which will confuse the issue for us. Yeah. Well, it's our 24th game, and that's the highlight so far. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 99. Stay tuned for our petition to move the Jays into the AL Central. Right off the top, I would like to thank the unbalanced, incautiously perplexed, lame-brained underhead Brian B. And, uh... Later on, I will get into exactly why he deserved all of those insulting words into his direction. <laughs> uh, but first, we're going to talk about the Blue Jays, who were 3-4 and four or 3-5, and five, depending on um, what time it was when we finished that last podcast over the last week. Uh, we don't have Devin Travis on the roster. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel stuck around instead. We'll talk about what is going on with that and, uh, and what happens next. And then Gritchick and Pierce are out, and uh, the... Logjam in the outfield is a little bit cleared up. Teoscar Hernandez is around. Morales gets more playing time. I don't know. There's probably more to it than that. Getting some longer outings out of the starters. I don't know if they're all really good outings, but there seems to be a concern about the Blue Jays' pen being quote-unquote overworked, which, of course, we'll look into. And Josh Donaldson is back. And, of course, I am joined by Josh Housem. How's it going, Josh? Good. You know, mention the same sentence as Josh Donaldson is always a nice little feeling. <laughs> it's it's the best Josh comparison I can give you in the context of this show. <laughs> Take it. There was a time when it was Josh Hamilton, a brief time, <laughs> but no, Josh Donaldson. Josh, or Josh Tolley. <laughs> no, that is not a complimentary. No, no, I'm sorry. No. Uh, though he, he has proven to be a half decent analyst from what I've heard. Yeah, now he's hired by the Braves, but. Uh, I'll take Donaldson. All right. Uh, so, Devin Travis, I believe for the first time since he joined the Blue Jays and came up, has been has been sent back to the minors. Yeah. Uh, we talked about how this could be something that was going to eventually force its way into happening. I think it was two or three podcasts ago. It was still mm -hmm. surprising. Yeah. I mean... It... I guess you're always looking for a guy to get going and you're always thinking maybe it's just around the corner, but what was Travis hitting when he left? It, it, 148 with a 212 on base and a 246 slugging. I mean, those numbers are not not sustainable in, in any way, shape, or form. They're they're not even replacement level. So, And then, of course, he's he's not... I don't know, is he playing every day in Buffalo is the question, or is he still doing two days on, one day off? I actually haven't checked that yet. I assume he's still doing that just because it's all about protecting his health. But I think that a big part of the reason for sending him out was that his playing time was about to come into serious question. I mean, Gurriel was playing a little bit better. I mean, his, his overall line is actually not much better than Travis's was, but he's had a little bit more batted ball. Bad luck. He's been hitting the ball very hard, and then, you know, his bat up is 233. But, uh, so Travis, I think it's sort of like go find your timing and your your swing away from the pressure of the big leagues. And I think that that might have been something that he was pressing a little bit. And you talked about the mental aspect of his swing before. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a guy who uh, even I w when he first talked about getting sent back to the minors on a rehab assignment, I remember him in an interview saying he actually had to ask people like, OK, 
how do you do this? Like, what, what am I here to do? Because I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to be a prospect. <laughs> I'm here to rehab. But how do you rehab? And it's like, I think that that aspect of his game is something that he's he's not, um, he hadn't developed then. Maybe now he's got a better idea of what he can do in terms of things to focus on without worrying so much about the results every single day. Yeah, and I think that's going to be good for him. Like he's lost a lot of time where he could have been swinging and getting his mechanics and timing and everything down. I mean, it's really hard to do when you have knee injuries. You can't, like we talked about, you can't swing, right? Yeah, you're you're literally out of commission. Um, but with Lourdes Gurriel and Aledemus Diaz up the middle, so to speak, are, are we are we back to where we were with um, our, our keystone combo of last year with uh, Barney and um, and Goins? Are we not that bad yet? <laughs> uh, I don't think it's that bad yet. I mean, <laughs> so Diaz is struggling. I mean, he's not playing well at all right now, and he's getting kind of exposed a bit by breaking balls. And Gurriel, so their numbers combined are not very good. But Guriel, like I said, his he's been hitting the ball very hard and just having rotten luck. So that's going to turn around a little bit. But I think a lot of this too is like, oh, and we're going to get to Josh Johnson's return in a bit. But once that happens which is imminent, Yanni Harvis Alarte becomes the everyday second baseman, and all of a sudden the offensive ceiling is much better. Yeah, because um, Solarte is, is he has he has more pop, he's more consistent, he's, he's more everything. He just defensively uh, can't, like you said, he, way back when, he can't cover that shortstop position with with a uh, anything but a, a, a grain of salt and a wink. Um, so, I mean, playing And he doesn't third have the reaction great. time really for third base either, right? Right, but you can. There's just not that many balls hit to third versus as many hit to uh, to shortstop. Is is always my oh. inclination. Oh, I agree. I just meant that like his ideally suited position is second base, and that's where he's going to be. You know, it's basically the next game that this played after this is recorded, and so that's why I think that a move like this was okay, sending Travis down because Solarte was going to be taking over as the everyday second baseman. Right, which limits the exposure to Guriel, and then everything kind of falls in line a little bit more until Travis is feeling ready in which case I mean if it so happens that um, Solarte slumps at some point it's it is what it is right right and with Guriel you know he can start filling in at shortstop for Diaz on a little more consistent basis so so he can get some rest and that will help the up you know raise the floor of that position as well so I think it's all about just the best possible short-term arrangement which I would that's what they need to do when they're trying to contend right yeah, and I mean, once again, this team comes back to, and we, we haven't had to talk about it much because the Blue Jays have been a, a decent team without Josh Donaldson, but everything comes down to, is Josh Donaldson going to be healthy for the rest of the season? Because without him, uh, yeah, that floor is a lot lower and the ceiling is is just not there. And yeah, here we are. JD stabilizes the whole infield by returning. Right, exactly. All right. So we talked about the infield. Would you like to talk about the outfield? <laughs> sure. It was it. really, really busy. Uh, and it looked like Randall Gritchuk was maybe, maybe starting to hit a little bit, which which would have been very confusing because then who do you sit, right? Uh, Pierce was doing his job. Teoscar Hernandez was hitting the cover off the ball. Um, you're paying Morales to be on the bench. And then Randall Gritchuk made an incredible catch and destroyed himself. <laughs> well, a bad, incredible catch. It's one, mm. it's one of those plays that where, where it's like, 
it's both extremely impressive, but also not that great a play at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it was it was uh, polishing a turd, so to speak, in in hyperspeed. <laughs> he he landed on the ball, essentially, between yeah. his hand and and his body was the ball. And he managed to turn that into a catch by not letting it touch the ground. But that that might be the worst technique for not having a baseball touch the ground available to you as an outfielder. <laughs> yeah, well, at least they got the double play out of it. So, you know, they got he got hurt on a play that helped. His goofiness confused the runner. <laughs> as, as I would have been confused as well. Because looking at the ball disappear underneath him, you have to assume that he's dragging it under underneath him on the ground, right? Right, that he did not catch it. I, I totally agree. Yeah. So, yay, double play, uh, injury. And then uh, this was kind of weird. At first, Steve Pierce was scratched, and John Gibbons gave the rather cryptic, well, that's just the manager's decision. Uh, and then for the whole game, the running joke was the manager's decision to put Kendrick Morales in his spot resulted in two home runs and a couple of walks and an incredible performance from Morales, who some people had written off for apparently dead. Uh but it wasn't just the manager's manager's decision now, was it? No. Turns out that uh, Pierce had some soreness in his rib cage. It doesn't sound like it's a serious thing, but, you know, it's still a rib. So the muscles there can take a long time to heal or a short time. You don't really know. And, of course, it's the Blue Jays giving injury reports, so we really don't really know. Uh, especially but, they did not use the word oblique. I like that. They just avoided that word entirely, didn't they? They did, thankfully, because yes, the <laughs> oblique is very bad. But... Uh, yeah, it's fluky, weird thing, and it at least temporarily cleared up a little bit of a long jab. Yeah, now you just hope Teoscar Hernandez uh, keeps hitting and plays the outfield better than he did in Minnesota. Uh, you uh, you highlighted that on Twitter, and, and I would have to agree with you. That was some of the, how shall I put it, sloppiest outfield play I've seen in right in a long time because although Jose Batista was... It, in essence, not a good outfielder in terms of speed and and at, at one point his arm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Fundamentally, it looked like Jose was trying his hardest to do the right thing all the time. No, it evokes Moises Sierra, but that's the name <laughs> that came to mind. <laughs> With the Benny Hill music. Here, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and here's the thing. like, he's There's been a couple of times now where this has happened this season where it's not, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to call it a lack of effort because that's not what it is. I think it's just sort of like a brain cramp has led to extra bases for the other team. The first one, I think I talked about it before, it was in that uh, Kansas City series in Toronto. He just lobbed a ball into the infield and allowed a runner to score from third. And then in this Minnesota game, he missed a ball. Like, he should have possibly held the guy to a single, but it bounced by him. Under okay, his might have been Bas Basically, he wasn't, he wasn't anticipating this low bounce, but again, you have to anticipate whatever's out yeah. there you, you've got a few bounces when you're in the outfield to anticipate these things right i mean but but i'm not gonna that's not a mental thing that's just like he made him oh i mean it is but it's just a fielding error at the same time but then he just sort of jogged after the ball and turned <laughs> a double into a triple which yeah. led to a run there there was it was almost like he he was disappointed that he missed it and then was thinking about how he'd missed it and not like you said, like a little brain cramp. Like, yeah, the play's still going on. You don't just need to get it. You need to get it now. Um, mm -hmm. that's, and there was no sense of urgency to that play. And again, I don't think he thought, well, this is stupid. I don't want to go get the ball. <laughs> I'm not no, saying no. that. No, no. And that's the thing. I'm not, it's not a lack of effort. I don't Because I don't want to put that term out there because that's not what it is. It's just 
lapses in concentration. And it happened again on a sack fly where he didn't throw the ball into the plate right away. And if he did, he probably gets the out at the plate. Yeah, just some weird stuff. Um, also, yeah. it doesn't seem to me like any of the outfielders respect Kevin Pilar's center field authority often enough. Yeah, I don't know what the deal with that is. I mean, because that's been the case. He's had issues with outfielders, no matter who they are. It was Ezekiel Carrera or Batista. So part of me thinks that that's Pilar. Mm. Whether he's calling the ball too late or he's calling balls that he shouldn't because other players have easier routes to them. I don't really know, but that's been something that's been going on for two or three years now. And you would think that either the coaching staff or Kevin himself would, would you know, highlight that because he really... Uh, you know, up until this year, he's he's needed to cover all that ground and get to all those baseballs. Um, you you would figure they would sort out a little better now that there there's sort of uh, a more even distribution of range in the outfield most of the time. That he <laughs> he would really be vocal about how he wanted that to go. You would, but I, I don't know. I think this is something that's just really hard to tell from watching a game on television. We should mic up all the players. <laughs> it's like like the All Star game. <laughs> or or that or that play during spring training when, when Mookie Betts. <laughs> did we ever talk about that? I don't think I don't we ever we highlighted that. We should have. That should have been like a a, a moment of the week. A gold Where, star. Yeah, I ain't getting this one, boys. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't know what we're talking about, that will be in the podcast post because that was incredible. Yeah, that was brutal, brutal and wonderful at the same time. And and of course, you're watching the the footage, and Mookie Betts is on his horse, and it's he knows he's doomed to begin with. Oh, uh, uh, back to the Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah, I remember the Blue Jays, right? Uh, so that leaves also Kendris Morales is is probably back to some everyday DH duties. He hit two home runs in the game where he was subbing in for Pierce. He hadn't even done batting practice left-handed. But then the Minnesota Twins gave him a fastball. Why would you do that? Uh, I don't. I don't get some of the pitching decisions a lot of these teams are making, especially to Curtis Granison, who still has not swung at the first pitch. <laughs> it's May. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy. This is going to be a running thing on this podcast. We're going to have to give out some kind of special award. This will be the the Brian BSR award when he finally does it. <laughs> but uh, so Morales, he raised his OPS from 499 to 714 in that one game. So you're saying he's had limited playing time and had one heck of a night. Yeah, well, I mean, this is just kind of the goofiness you get with early season numbers. He has been objectively bad. Yes. But... He only has 63 plate appearances. So if he hits, he can hit better than that. And he should hit better than that. It's, yeah. you know, but, but you're right. I mean, he's been really struggling against off speed pitches. So I don't know why they were attacking him with fastballs. Maybe they don't get scouting reports. I, I don't know. Yeah. But, I, I hear what you're saying. And of course that objectively makes no sense at all. Yeah. No, I mean, it's obviously not a serious <laughs> thing about them not getting scouting reports, but, but I think you're right. He's going to get regular playing time now, or at least, mm -hmm for a couple of days until we see what's going on with Pierce and uh, Hernandez is like his path to playing time is completely wide open now which has so far been a good thing um, what is Hernandez OPS still is he, is 966 he's... yeah um, I think that'll play <laughs> yeah I, and I wrote a piece about this too there's a bunch of things he's doing that are sustainable in terms of the way he's putting balls in play and and, and taking 
breaking balls and his launch angle. I mean, I don't want to break down the whole whole piece here because it's long and we're doing a podcast. Teoscar but if you Dennis, want to know, actually good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the signs are good, and you can go read it if you want the details. But it doesn't look like the strikeout machine who fluked into some home runs last year is who he really is. It looks like what he's doing now is closer. Cool. Uh, which rolls us over to the pitching side of things. Uh, everyone on the ba- the baseball broadcast on the television endlessly tells me about how they need to get more outings from the starters. And we're probably going to look into how that's true one way and maybe not so true another way. Uh, first of all, I, I would say you don't just want long outings from the starters. You want good ones. And I don't know that the the ends of these outings have gone always very well for starters getting deep into games. Nope. <laughs> like, Aaron Sanchez had a 6-1 lead going into the 6th the other night, and he came out of it, what, 6-4? I think it was 6-2 going into the end. They gave up two runs. But, you know, I mean, the, the Jays late, the starters late have been having trouble. For Estrada, it's been a little earlier. It's usually been the fifth inning. But I agree with you. I mean, there's part of the value of deep bullpens is the ability to not have your starters go face a lineup a third time. And the Jays have been having trouble with that aside from Jay Happ. Uh, yeah. Jay Happ is like a magic strikeout machine who knows exactly what he's doing. And everybody else is a big, I won't say a big question mark. There are question marks about every other member of this starting rotation. Yeah. I think that, I mean, Sanchez has been mostly good. And I think he answered most of his questions with his, Velocity because it was it was back up the last couple starts and then you know mid nineties and hitting ninety six ninety seven, and I think that you know I, I think there are fewer questions with him. But the other three pitchers, absolutely. Yeah, and of course having sixty percent of your starting rotation uh, with ERAs in the six to eight range, or as Marcus Stroman's before the start today was eight point eight eight, which is a lovely alliterative sort of number uh, to look at unless it's from your starting pitcher uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know like I, I don't obviously he's he's not an 8 ERA pitcher but something has to improve with those the with Garcia Estrada and and Stroman in the short run or you really are going to get into a situation where the bullpen is going to be in way earlier yeah, I mean, so one of the things that's, that's funny about this team, I don't think they've actually had any starts of those, you know, two innings or one inning, which they had a bunch of last year. I think every every start has been at least four innings. Uh, but yeah, but I, I think you're right, though. Like they, well, so Stroman went to the through seven innings in today's game. We're recording this after the end of the Minnesota series. And he looked better. So it's one start. So I'd like to see more of them. He was consciously throwing more cutters, which I think is a good thing for him as opposed to just getting all sinker happy. But, yeah, I mean, they got to start being better or we will see some of those blowups, which will hurt the bullpen, which I assume we're about to talk about now. Yeah, because it doesn't have any multi-inning relievers in it. And then because it doesn't have any any multi-inning relievers, we hear from various folks, the bullpen is overworked. But we, you have numbers which will confuse the issue for us. Yeah. So <laughs> the Toronto bullpen has thrown the fourth fewest innings in baseball. Which is good. Yes. Does that surprise you? It surprises me a little bit, but it's the way the workload is spread, I presume, because the what I heard last week was, of course, there's like three guys in the pen who have 14 appearances already in in 
April. Well, you multiply like, okay, let's say 15 appearances, 15 times six, 90 appearances in a year. Like you're not, you're not supposed to have a bullpen that has three or four guys with 90 appearances each. That's just, well, right. Stupid. And, and that's what I was going to say. The next thing is the Toronto, they have the eighth most relief appearances in baseball and the third highest in the American league. That's so, what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> It's exactly what it is because of the lack of multi-inning relievers that you alluded to. While they haven't thrown a ton of innings, they have had a lot of different guys pitch. And eventually, if everybody's pitching a lot, they're going to wear down. And that's not just pitching a lot, but there are still instances where a guy warms up and does not pitch. And we don't count that in the statistics, but it surely has an effect. Yeah, I mean, it, it always does. Now, you don't warm up at 100%, so it's not quite the same thing, but it's still throwing. And if it happens a lot, eventually it accumulates. So while the, the bullpen has been objectively fantastic. Aside from Aaron Loop, every reliever has an ERA <laughs> under 2.2. And Yeah, results have been great. Even though specific guys don't, don't look like they have great stuff or don't look like they've had a fantastic outing. Uh, the Blue Jays have yet to give up, if, if I'm not mistaken, the Blue Jays still, as a whole staff, have yet to give up a three-run homer or a grand slam all year long. That's true. That's kind of a weird and crazy statistic when you think about how many three-run homers and grand slams they've hit and that we yeah. heard about around baseball. And you're like, no, we just don't do that. So, But also, he, I mean, they've given up 39 home runs. Yeah. But they've timed it's, them well. <laughs> yes, they have. <laughs> but I think that's part of the nature. Like, they don't walk a lot of people. So, you know, when you're not putting guys on, and then there are some pitchers who walk more than others. But in, in general, I think, they, like you said, they just time them well. But these relievers, going back to what we were just talking about, their results have been good. Very, very, very good. But they, you know, they have to stop throwing so many games. Yeah, and the answer to that, of course, isn't really up to the relievers because John Gibbons isn't going to use them anyway, I don't think, but how he's used them. It is, we're back to the starters, and they need to have longer quality starts. Seven innings, six, six and seven innings for sure, and and the five-inning thing is just not going to cut it because John Gibby ends up using four or five relievers in a, in a five-and-dive start, and that's crazy to have happen like twice a week. It's just unsustainable. Because they don't yep. have anybody <laughs> to option to triple A. No. All right. That covers everything except probably the most important thing. Josh Donaldson. Yep. He's back. He's going He's going to be activated for the Cleveland doubleheader, which is pl being played potentially, it might rain, on Thursday afternoon. Start. Now, honestly, what are the odds that he plays only one game of that doubleheader to rest him? 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we brought you back for the doubleheader. Is Joe Biagini going to be on the same bus? <laughs> yes, Joe Biagini has been announced as one of the starters. So There you go. See, uh, now, what, what I could see them doing is Biagini starts the first game, mm -hmm. and then Donaldson is activated for the DL from the DL for the second game and Biagini is optioned. So who's your 26th man for the second game? I don't know if they're like, okay. I have to check into this, but I'm pretty sure for the newer rules are that 
for double headers that you know of over 24 hours or 48 hours in advance, you do not get a second man. That seems a shame. Yes, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm pretty sure that was the rule change. If that's the case, that's the way I think it'll play out. If that's not the case, then it won't matter. They'll just bring Biagini up. All right. Sounds good. It sounds so good, in fact, that we're going to take a quick break and we're going to answer your questions about probably the players we haven't talked about yet, which I don't think we left many people out, but maybe, you know, you never know. We'll be right back. And we have returned. We have returned to answer your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right, Luke at Split Letters has Morales on the brain because he preemptively asked from April 30th, is Morales still a member of the Jays in August? And then he reconsidered the question and he asked tonight, why do we keep talking like Morales has a history of being real good and it's strange that he's been bad with the Jays because his career numbers aren't exactly particularly good outside of two years, 2015 and 2009? Uh, so the answer to the first question, I think, is yes. I think Morales will still be around. As for the second one, I think the problem with what you're looking at is... Kenneth Morales' OPS or something of that nature, but not paying attention to the parks he played in because he was an above-average hitter, but about 20% above average. Many Every season, really, that he played a full season since becoming a regular. Now, he had some injury issues, and he had that one year where he signed after the draft. But he was a really solid hitter. Now, no one was thinking he was Edwin Encarnacion or something like that. But he was a good hitter. And with the Jays, he has not been a good hitter. He's just been a serviceable hitter. Yeah. And I think when the Jays signed him, they looked and they said, consistently above average hitter with some home run power that might play up in this park. And he's a switch hitter and we don't have any. So all of those things, I think, when the Jays signed them were ingredients that they were looking for. So he continues to have some occasional power at the very least. And he continues to be a switch hitter. It just, like you said, doesn't continue to be a particularly above average hitter. And that's a bit of a problem. But he costs $10 yeah. million, so he ain't going anywhere soon, if he, as long as he's, you know, usable. Yep. All right. What's next? All right. So this next question, this comes from <laughs> Brian A. at Big BSR, or... <laughs> what was it you called him earlier? He is an unbalanced, incautiously perplexed, lame brain dunderhead. That's right. So what's all this about spin rate and Bauer getting all in a huff about it, Trevor Bauer or Tyler Bauer? <laughs> Is that like uh, Tommy and Tammy or Bront? Anyway, um, Trevor <laughs> Bauer, uh, he works with driveline bases. Uh, and one of the things that they have discovered over time is uh, if you spin the ball more, you have an advantage in, I'll real simplify it, the movement on your pitches. So one of the things that can get you more spin rate, again, that Trevor has quietly discovered but shouldn't be able to use on the field, is that if you put something sticky on your hands and you have a better grip on the ball, you can make it spin more. He's alluding to the fact that some teams, 
knowing that the they're Astros never gonna, specifically yeah the astros knowing that they're not going to get checked for sticky stuff on the pitcher's hands because umpires don't do it unless they're asked by the other team to do it um are bending the rules just to get their pitchers extra spin rate because everyone who goes to the, the astros suddenly ups their spin by a couple of hundred rpm and hey more movement on their pitches um his longer explanation though was was actually quite fair which was to say I know nobody's going to get caught uh, in any regular way because it's very hard to police this. So why police it at all? You've already got something sticky on the back of the mound. Why don't you let me choose from a list of sticky substances and just let me put them on my hands? Most batters would not object because they're worried about you having no proper grip at all and you not knowing where the baseball's going. That's what he's all in a huff about. Yeah, he just didn't present it well initially. It sounded very whiny with his initial tweet, which is why all the Houston Astros things players went after him and when Alex Bredman was calling him Tyler. But he yeah, you're right with the way it ended was reasonable. And and I'm all with that. I, I don't understand why you're you're not trying to put stuff on the ball to make it wobble or fall off a table or or anything else. You're trying to do what you're already doing with the baseball, spin it a certain way. You're just trying to be more efficient about that. I don't think it's the worst thing ever. Brian also asks us, if you had to choose which one would finish first, would you choose Morales running a 100-meter dash or downloading an MP3 file with a 56K dial-up modem from Kazaa? Can I say that I don't <laughs> think either one would finish? <laughs> Never. It's just an indefinite... <laughs> Morales would, you know, he just wouldn't make it. Get 99 <laughs> meters. And then the, the MP3 would just keep crashing and the download just wouldn't work. Um, yeah, so yeah, these are two things which are impossibly slow. Neither would win. I'm, I'm with that answer. <laughs> Next. All right. We'll, uh, we'll jump up a little bit from Blue Jays Way at Blue Jays Way 1. Does Teoscar Hernandez remind you guys of Nelson Cruz? He kind of does for me. Uh, I think, first of all, I would say that that is probably an insult to Teoscar Hernandez's defense, and we even just threw him under the bus for that in this podcast. <laughs> uh, Nelson Cruz was really bad in the outfield from everything I've ever remembered. He cost remembered. the team World Series by not catching a fly ball. Yeah, that, I mean, no no person should be judged by one play, but uh, yeah. No, there's... that's just a famous one, but he was really bad. That's why yeah. he's a DH. Exactly. So that's one thing that doesn't remind me. I do not think... Teoscar has shown us consistent 40 home run power. Nelson Cruz has been doing that for a long time. Yeah, Nelson Cruz is between 39 and 40 home runs each of the last five years in his late 30s. Uh, I mean, that's he, he's got rare, truly elite power. And one of the other differences, too, is that coming up, I mean, I talked about how I don't think Teoscar Hernandez is going to strike out as much as he used to, but I also don't think he's going to many home runs because he changed his launch angle. Cruz never really struck out that much at any level of pro ball. So it was sort of a different skill set. I think that answers that. So we'll move on to Jordan Sheldon for you because uh, it's a question about your one of your favorite statistics. Um, the FIP of <laughs> <laughs> most of the Jays relievers are higher than their ERAs, but their BABIPs against actually seem high. Do you expect regression or think they can maintain this? So basically he's saying um, their pitching metrics say that they should be uh, worse than this. Uh, but when you look, a lot of the balls that were put in play, they have been unlucky. 
So what what does that all add up to in the end? Okay, so I'm just going to dismiss the FIP aspect of this right away. <laughs> no because... FIP on the podcast. <laughs> no, I hate it. That's a terrible stat. Um, but, 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 I mean, in, in general, there's no way they're going to sustain this. I mean, it's just – it's impossible. They've got four relievers who have who have 13 or more appearances with ERAs under two. And then Sun Wang Oh was at 219. And that's just – there's no bullpen that's this good without being, you know, full of Andrew Miller's on it. And none of these guys are that. So I, I, I think they are good. I think they're a bunch of very good relievers and they've got the stuff to be good. But this level of performance, as you alluded to earlier, too, you know, the timing of home runs and the look of some of the appearances, the results are a little better than they probably should be. Yeah. The timing of home runs, by the way, if I didn't make it clear earlier, I do not believe is a skill. <sighs> No. <laughs> if base is empty, I think now is when I'm going to give up my home run. No. Well, especially like a guy like Clippard, right? Clippard has given up five hits in 15 innings. Three of them are home runs, and he has eight walks. So his whip is .84, but there's some scary things in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, mistakes will be made, and it will be sad when they are. But until then, uh, yeah, we'll just keep rolling with them. We have a last question. Yeah, this one comes from Gideon Turk. What does Kevin Pillar need to do to show that this is real this time? Do it for six months. <laughs> That's a bit off the cuff of me, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, there's some truth to that. But I think that, you know, maybe not six months, but at least more than one, because we've seen, you know, month or month and a half spurts where Kevin Pillar is very good, you know, in the past. Yeah. yeah, and you know it's just like he'll just have a stretch where he's hitting the ball well, but his launch angle is the same, his swing rate is the same, his chase rate is the same. There's nothing he's doing differently other than hitting the ball on the screws a little bit more this month. But again, he's done that in months here or there in the past. So there's not enough to say that he's doing something different yet. It's just, we got to wait. I mean, that's really all it is. How's his walk rate? Yeah, it's a little better, but not good. You uh, know, like that's saying, like he's, he's swinging and chasing the same. He's actually swinging and missing more than he has in the past. And like I said, like if he had a launch angle change, like, like Teoscar Hernandez did, actually, no, his walk rate is 5.9%. So if he had a launch angle change, then I could say that he has changed his swing. And that has led to higher exit velocities, you know, more barrels, but he doesn't. I mean, everything is exactly the same. He just happens to be hitting the ball right now. Well, that doesn't exactly bode that well, but the truth hurts sometimes, I think, is what that comes right down to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe he, he can learn to sustain these a little bit longer at some point. I don't, I don't know really what you can say there, but just, you know, that the simple thing is he's just doing the same stuff right now and so there's no reason really to expect this to keep up so those were your questions which means of course that we are going to move on to the do over i think that's rather brilliant so i did no, good no, right? that's, that's not the, i mean i was thought you'd get a gold star you enjoy that <laughs> you've got i'm gonna do over that sound effect oops say the quiet part <laughs> loud and the loud part quiet <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again but what I really meant was...
Yes, and today's this week's do-over is is a rather innocent one. We're not going to get all uh, bent out of shape about it, I don't think. Uh, goes to Keith Hernandez. Now you brought this to my attention, so I I defer to you, sir, if you'd like to discuss what Mr. Hernandez' uh, misstep was. So during a game, Keith Hernandez, who's one of the Mets broadcasters, was just talking about he'd shave, he'd hurt his finger shaving, and he turned the warning camera to show off his injury. <laughs> but the injury was to his middle finger. <laughs> so he flipped off the camera on live television. Every single person watching got got flipped the bird by Keith Hernandez for no reason. <laughs> and as soon as he did, he's like, whoops, I can't do that. Uh, what was his co-host's response to that? Gary, yeah, Gary Cohen. Well, it's our 24th game, and that's the highlight so far. <laughs> I think the Mets have been better than that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, the Mets have actually been really good, but it, oh, it was funny. Yeah, so uh, yeah, still not appropriate to give the, the entire audience the one-finger salute, no matter what you're trying to illustrate. Frankly, I'm surprised that Pat Tabler hasn't done this, like, multiple times. He probably has, but they've got the game on a tape delay, so they know to cut away. <laughs> He's showing off his big, strong hands. Oh, dear. There we go again. Oh, so <laughs> basically the, the do over here. It's <laughs> gotta be one. <laughs> Don't flip off the camera. Yeah, confine your hand gestures to things approved by like the Geneva Convention or something. Um, also, probably just watch it with the razor. Don't shave with a straight razor. Know. You don't need to shave with a straight razor. That was how he injured himself. Use a disposable also, razor. Cutting- how are you cutting your finger? I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> Presu- okay, this is a guess. I didn't watch the clip, but I'm guessing he was... It's not... It's the hand that's pulling his skin. Yeah, I'm sure it would have been. He had just sliced it. Yeah. Which, hey, it's a straight razor. It's way too easy to do. Um, <laughs> goodness me. So we, uh, we have, on multiple occasions this podcast, we have insulted our friend Brian B. And that's because... Essentially, he specifically asked us to. Um, if you go to our Patreon page, there is a donation level that will is is so ridiculously high. And thank you once again, you unbalanced, incautiously perplexed, lame brain dunderhead, Brian. Um, we will craft a custom insult for you. And uh, once you have once you have passed the payment period, uh, we will say that insult about you multiple times. And, and you know it's it's just for you, and it's all your own. I don't actually recommend that, but hey, Brian was up for it, so he got what he wanted. You can always go over to patreon.com, and, and if the website crashes your browser, please try again. It crashes ours, too. Um, www.patreon.com slash turfpod, and you can see that there are other rewards that don't involve us calling you names, and uh, we would like you to uh, to check that out and maybe contribute a small amount of, of your money for a, a the large amount of our time that we put into this little love affair we call Artificial Turf Wars. Now that I got that out of the way, I get to ask you, Josh, if you have a final thought. I do. So they dropped a funny little nugget during the broadcast of today's game. During this season, the Blue Jays have played 14 games where they have scored five or more runs. Do you know what the record is in those 14 games? 14 and 0. 14 and 0. <laughs> That's crazy. Considering their pitching. I mean, this is a team they're 12th in the league and runs allowed. Obviously, the strength of this bullpen is a big part of this, but... 12th in league in runs, and they've yet to lose a game where they gave up five or more runs. The only other team who hasn't is Arizona, and Arizona has given up the second fewest runs in baseball. 
So it's fun and fluky and weird. And <laughs> I like fun and fluky and weird. Uh, yeah, when it ends in Ws. Because wasn't it last year that if they didn't score at least three runs, they were like one and eight or one and 12 or something at one point? It was the opposite, that opposite problem. They had to get to three runs or they were done. Yeah, I and mean, that was also the problem in 2016, too. It's like if they didn't score, they didn't win, Even despite their incredible pitching. It's just... <laughs> but yeah, so this is kind of goofy and fun, and that's the best part of early season baseball. All right, my final thought is about the transition from early season baseball to summer baseball. The Rogers Center slash Skydome roof was tested this week. And there were photos of a fully opened roof, despite the strange damage that happened to it uh, with the ice. It looks like if the temperature holds, the roof will be open during the next homestand. And that, that is the true start of summer. Mm, the best part. <laughs> Indeed. Until you're sitting in the 500s in the afternoon sun wondering why they don't close the bloody roof. Um, <laughs> what can you do? point. <laughs> So that means that we are approaching the end of another podcast, uh, which is to say that you were Josh Housem at Joshua Housem, and I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 99. And we'll talk at you next week. Mm-hmm.